We uh, continue to go through the uh, Old Testament book of Joshua, and uh, we will do that this morning. So please uh, take a copy of God's Word and turn to Joshua chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 30 through 35, and these are the verses on which I will preach, and as I have been saying all along, with a great deal of help given to me by Dr. James Montgomery Boyce. Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35, I will be uh, reading uh, this section of God's word from the uh, original New International Version of the Bible. Hear the word of God. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, we know our need of you in reference to all things, in reference to all time. And uh, we pray that uh, in reference now to this sermon, in reference to this particular time of preaching and hearing, you would uh, be present in your grace that you would graciously work for your honor, for your blessing, for your glory. 
And we realize, uh, Heavenly Father, that if you would so do, then we would certainly be blessed. We would certainly experience your goodness during this time. And so please, be here, please work, please be in control, please honor and exalt yourself, and uh, let us experience your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses had ordered the children of Israel to do something when they would enter the promised land. He instructed them to read the list of blessings and curses that he had written down from God at a special assembly of the people on the sides of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Our verses of this morning tell us that Joshua led the Israelites in doing this. After Israel's victories at Jericho and Ai, the Jewish armies did not proceed immediately with further conquest as some, as many, would expect. Instead, Israel traveled by foot about 25 miles north of Ai and a few miles west to a valley situated between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And there, in precise obedience to the earlier commands of Moses, all Israel stood on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. And there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel. Dr. Boyce has said, it must have been an impressive and moving experience. Curses upon curses if you do not obey the law. Blessings upon blessings if you do. The ceremony that was enacted on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim teaches us two important truths of God. For our message this morning, we are going to study these two important truths. And here is truth number one. Obedience leads to blessing and disobedience to a lack of blessing in life. Let me say that again 
slightly differently. Blessing or lack of blessing depends upon obedience. This truth was the purpose of the reading. The content of the words read on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. A reading of curses and blessings was not simply made at the ceremony apart from any context. No, the curses and blessings were read in the setting that curses would be upon those who did not obey the Lord God and blessings would be upon those who did. Joshua, through the Levites, was to say during the reading, Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. And all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Here's a fuller picture of what took place at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. On Mount Gerizim, six of the tribes of Israel were to stand, and on Mount Ebal, the other six tribes of Israel were to stand. The curses were to be read first by the Levites, and these curses can be found in Deuteronomy 27, starting at verse 15. Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol and sets it up in secret. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or his mother. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien the fatherless, or the widow. Twelve curses in all were read. And each mention of curse was in connection to disobeying the Lord God. And after each curse was read, the people on Mount Ebal were to say, Amen. Amen to signify that this was of the Lord God and that this would be done by the Lord God for disobedience. Then the blessings were to be read. Deuteronomy 28, starting at verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. You will be blessed in the city. You will be blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock. Your basket and your kneading bowl will be blessed. Each blessing was mentioned because of obedience to the Lord God. Once again, God was saying to the Israelites at this ceremony, and he is saying to us now, there is blessing for obedience, and there is cursing 
for disobedience. This truth of God was clearly illustrated, demonstrated to the Israelites and to us in the cases of Israel defeating Jericho and then being defeated at Ai. When the children of Israel entered the land of Canaan and commenced their attack on Jericho in strict obedience to the commands of God, the result was unprecedented blessing. Their obedience brought great victory. But when the children of Israel moved up from Jericho to attack Ai, they suffered a humiliating defeat because of disobedience. Achan had willfully sinned against the Lord, and it was only after the sin had been exposed and judgment meted out that blessing returned. In God's grace, there is blessing for obedience. And in God's justice, there is cursing for disobedience. This is the way the Lord Jesus put this truth in his sermon on the mount. Matthew 7, verses 24 and 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Blessing or lack of blessing depends upon obedience. Dr. Boyce tells the story of meeting a woman he had known when she was a student and attended 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. She had become interested in a certain young man, a young man who did not share her Christian faith. And in spite of the warnings of her friends and a long and very pointed discussion with Dr. Boyce, she married him. He lost touch with her. But on this occasion, suddenly there she was again. At first, he said, I did not recognize her. But she introduced herself and told a little about her life in the intervening years. She had been most unhappy. She had experienced pain and misery. As they parted, she said to Dr. Boyce, you know, you were absolutely right. I should never have married him. Dr. Boyce went on to say about the story, this was a case of willful 
disobedience against things in God's word followed by a clear lack of blessing on her life. My friend, it is true. It is really true. It is a principle of God. The blessing of God or lack of blessing from God depends upon obedience. Here is truth number two of this morning. The ceremony that took place on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim goes beyond teaching us that obedience leads to blessing and disobedience to cursing. Because of the love and grace of God, it also teaches us that God provides an answer to the problem of disobedience. God has a solution to the problem of sin in any life. When one reads Joshua 8, verses 30 through 35, one notices that the part of these verses that tells of the reading of the law on the slopes of the mountains is preceded by a section that tells of the construction of an altar on which the law was written. This, too, was an exact fulfillment of the commands of God given to the people through Moses. In Deuteronomy, Moses is recorded as having said, Deuteronomy 27, starting at verse 2, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I command you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool upon them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there. Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 32, is the fulfillment of this command. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. Now, there are three things here that tell us God's solution to the problem of sin. A, on this great occasion, when the law of Moses was so forcefully and visibly held before the people, an altar was also constructed 
as the answer to the problem of those who should hear the law and not keep it. An altar was also constructed to say to the people, there can be forgiveness. There can be forgiveness for your disobedience. Now listen, through the shedding of the blood of an innocent one. This is what God had been actually teaching all along. When God first gave the law on Mount Sinai, at the same time, he gave the regulations regarding sacrifices. When he gave Moses as lawgiver, at the same time, he gave Aaron to be the high priest. It was as if God were thundering from Sinai, says Dr. Boyce, thou shalt not, but then immediately added, but I know you will. And so here is the way to escape condemnation. Sin brings judgment. The judgment of sin is ultimately death. But the sacrifices show that it is possible for an innocent victim to die in place of the sinner. In those ancient days, the victim was an animal. But the animal pointed forward to the only truly sufficient sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is by faith in the death of Jesus Christ for us that we escape sin's punishment. I am a sinner. I have disobeyed God. I have rebelled against him. I have a problem. A severe problem, the problem of sin. But God in his grace has given a solution. And the solution is in his son, the Lord Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's A. B, when the altar was constructed by Joshua in obedience to the commands of Moses, it was not constructed in the valley between the two mountains or on Mount Gerizim. It was constructed on Mount Ebal. Why? Why there? The answer is that Ebal was the mountain from which the curses were to be read. In other words, the altar was for sinners. It was for those who would acknowledge. It was for those who would confess their sin and who would come not as 
the righteous, but come as a sinner to the place of sacrifice. Coach Vaught was to Ole Miss football what Bear Bryant was to Alabama football, what Joe Paterno was to Penn State football. A fellow PCA pastor who greatly looked up to and knew Coach Vaught stopped by his house one day to pay him a visit. And during the visit, he came right out and asked the coach whether he had the Lord Jesus. The coach replied, you know, it's funny, you should ask that. I want to, but I just don't know how. Coach, the pastor said, it's a gift. It's a gift. Would you like to receive that gift? And then he shared the good news of the Lord Jesus with the coach. And they went on to kneel right where they were in the house. And the coach confessed his sins. He admitted, he acknowledged that he was a sinner and that he needed a savior. And he put his trust in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for him. A, a sacrifice. B, for sinners. It's interesting that 1,000 years after Joshua, the Samaritans built their altar on Mount Gerizim, not Mount Ebal. So when the woman of Samaria told Jesus at the well, John chapter 4, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, she was pointing to Gerizim. Jesus responded by turning her away from that mountain to himself and his coming sacrifice. The chief characteristic of the Samaritans of that day was self-righteousness. The Samaritans would not come to God as sinners. They would not come confessing their need of a, of a cleansing sacrifice. They came as righteous, good people. Consequently, the first thing Jesus did with the woman was to expose her spiritual ignorance and uncover her sin. You have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. We also see in our passage for this morning God's answer to disobedience, God's answer to sin, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and going to Christ as a sinner and receiving him as the one who cleanses us. Then see, the altar constructed on Mount Ebal 
was to be, I hope you remember, of natural stones with no human workmanship added to them. That says to us, we are to deny the thought that we can add anything at all to salvation. We cannot. Salvation is a gift through the work of Christ alone. Let me, let me use these words. It is not just a matter of coming to God as a sinner. That's absolutely essential. There's no place for the self-righteous in God's presence. But that's not enough. Nor is it enough even to come to the place of sacrifice, the cross of Christ, thereby acknowledging our need of another to die for us. In addition to these absolutely essential things, it is also necessary to come acknowledging that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can contribute to the effort. Nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can bring to the table. The reformers expressed this truth by the phrases sola fide and sola gratia. Sola fide means by faith alone. Salvation is by faith in the work of Christ, period. Sola gratia means by grace alone, the grace of God entirely. Augustus Toplady put it like this in a hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace, foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Years ago, when I graduated from Covenant Theological Seminary with a Doctor of Ministry degree, Dr. Mark Pett spoke. Uh, graduation uh, services are very special. Very important, very special, the culmination of your academic years. Uh, and the one who comes and speaks is uh, expected to give a very, very good message. Dr. Mark Pett spoke. His whole message was simply this. Salvation is all of God. We bring nothing to it. It is received through faith in Christ apart from any works on our part. For 30 minutes, that's what he said over and over. 
Salvation is all of God. We bring nothing to it except our sins. It's received through faith in Christ apart from any works on our part. My friends, that is exactly what God also said to the Israelites and to us on this occasion at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. What must I do to be forgiven? What must I do to be cleansed of my disobedience? What must I do to be saved? Look to Christ the Savior, our sacrifice. As a sinner, admit my sin and add nothing to that. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, enable each one to look to your Son as Savior. Enable each one of us to admit, to acknowledge our disobedience, our sinfulness, and enable us once again to have Christ as our Savior and add nothing to it. In Jesus' name, amen.